are we as Latter-day Saints called to somehow try and heal the divides and the polarization that exists in the world today? President Nelson is suggesting that, that we're supposed to find uh, bridges of understanding and we're supposed to connect and we see the outreach that the church is doing to try and reconcile a divided and splintered world. And indeed he is calling us that we are as people that should be reconciled to Christ under the atonement that we should be peacemakers and trying to find ways to connect rather than to divide. That's a pretty high bar. Uh, let's talk about this as we take a look at where that comes out and we see the, the fruits of that that happens in the book of Helaman. Thanks for joining us today. And welcome to another Monday morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within its pages. And now, on to the class. Well, that said, I want to welcome everybody out to a class, and and also a um, we talk about the fact that uh, for for the vast majority of people that attend this class are never here; uh, they're listening by way of the podcast. Um, yes, yeah, one of the, them people. And I want to give a particular shout out to the number two location for this podcast is in Hamilton, New Zealand. <laughs> so so you, the, the, the most consistent, largest amount of people listening to this class are doing so in New Zealand. So we want to say, say a shout out to our Kiwis on the other side of the world. So, yay, thank you for joining us. Okay, all right. Well, that said, uh, yeah, let, so let's go ahead and uh, get going today. Um, I wanted to start with this. One of the things, one of the um, ongoing, did I, even, did I start this? Yes, I have started. Oh, good. One of the um, ongoing messages that we've started to, to hear coming through the, the Book of Mormon, and we spent the last couple of weeks looking at this, is trying to understand how things look when we talk about the atonement of Christ not so much soaked in sin, but the original word atonement meaning reconciliation. That, that, that Christ's job is less about removing sins and more about reconciling us to the Father. And the sins are gobbled up in a changing nature, in our nature that changes, so that we are now compatible with, the, with our heavenly parents. Uh, the fourth century and then the Reformation really soaked us in. It was all about sin. Um, but if we, if we see what the Savior's work in terms of reconciliation, 
it actually takes a different, you, you see it in a little bit different light. So, so let's remind ourselves that part of our problem as mortal beings is that we have we are fallen. And that is that our nature is contrary to God's. And, and the work of the, the Savior is involved in trying to uh, make it so that our nature is slowly transformed and changed and we are reconciled to God so that we become one with God. Uh, it wouldn't do any good at all if we said to somebody, you have been sinful all your life, now you've, de you've declared Christ and I'm going to run you into his presence from that moment I've lived. You know, my nature has been contrary and automatically I'm going to live with God. That would be like coming out of a very dark theater into a bright light. It would be incredibly uncomfortable. And we have to be transformed. We've got to change. That's why we're grateful for eternities and the work of the Savior in the long run. Oh, that, that's better. Thanks, Wendy. Okay. Now, uh, but here's an interesting thing about the great at one meant, the great reconciliation. It is vertical in the sense that we are to be reconciled, our nature needs to be reconciled to our heavenly parents, but it's also horizontal in the sense that we are also to be, first of all, reconciled with our family. Nobody goes to heaven alone. We are reconciled first as, uh, as couples and then our families and we're sealed together with our families. And, and that means that the work of reconciliation is not, is not just reconciling us with God, but it's reconciling our family and reconciling our family. <laughs> Think about here comes Thanksgiving, right? And it's like we're going we're gonna to take families that may have different divergent points about different things and we say, let's bring us all together. Well, what happens if you don't want to go with your parents? Well, exactly. I mean, that's the... <laughs> or the kids are saying the same thing. Well, I don't necessarily, you know. This is, guys, this is what cancel culture is all about. The, the nice thing these days is just like if you don't like your family, you just block them, ghost them, uh, cancel them. I don't like somebody in my family or my neighborhood. I just block them. And I, and I don't see them. And this is where, you know, we've got over and over, I keep running into like grandparents that haven't seen their grandkids for years. Because this is the great cancel culture and it's extending to families. And to a certain extent, I understand there are cases like, for instance, that where you have abusive relationships that really need to have distance between them because it's toxic and it's no longer safe. But in, in so many ways, cancel culture is so antithetical to the atonement. Now, it may not even happen in this life, but sometimes that reconciliation will happen after this life. But, but the goal is, is that we have to bring our families together. Yeah? My question, the question in my mind, is the definition of family. Because for me, my family is Cindy and I and our children. Yeah. But she has a family before that, 
I have a family that I'm part of. Our kids now all have their families. Yes. So, in my mind, that is the family of Christ. And I don't know when we talk about being together as a family. Yeah. How does that look? Isn't that funny? Because like in, in primary, we're going to sing, families can be together forever. And it's like, it's like we're picturing, especially when you're six or seven years old, you're picturing like your little family. And it's like this, this eternal family home evening sitting around in our living room. Um, and you're right, as, as families grow and expand and they have all of that. That's why, isn't it interesting that our family generally is going to be us and, and a sealed spouse. But at the same time, because the great reconciliation is horizontal, it's also going to extend out to our extended family and to our community. That's what the, that's what the city of Zion was about. It wasn't simply we're going to be... Was Enoch, was Enoch taken up into heaven on his own? Was he taken just with his wife? No, the whole city is, is involved in this. So the reconciliation is community-wide, um, and it's a great expansive thing that is happening, again, in both directions, that all of, we're supposed to be reconciled to these people, and we're, at the same time as we're being reconciled here, and Christ's atonement is for all of that. Does that make sense? So, so let me give you an example. There's a subtle thing I think happening among, with, uh, under the leadership of President Nelson uh, that is happening. Uh, and so let me, here, here's his, here's his uh, recent quote. This was I from last October. Talking about those who struggle. Do not need your judgment. They need to experience the pure love of Jesus Christ reflected in your words and actions. Okay? And then it gets a little specific. If a friend on social media has a strong political or social view that violates everything you believe in, an angry cutting retort by you will not help. <laughs> as much as you really want to just throw this well-formed barb in on that thing, he says, that will not help. And then, but now watch where he goes with this. Building bridges of understanding will require much more of you. That is exactly what your friend needs. Contention is a choice. Building bridges of understanding, I think, when everything is said and done, may end up being one of President Nelson's great legacies in the long run. What is President Nelson doing with the NAACP? Is he evangelizing? Is he, trying, is he hitting them with Book of Mormons? No, he's reaching out. He's building bridges of understanding and connection uh, with a goal towards bringing people together. Again, not necessarily. We still have, we'll always have a, uh, a responsibility as a church to evangelize, to take the gospel to the world. But it may turn out that just as equal to that is going to be these bridges of understanding and connection to other people and trying to solve the polarized world that we're, that we're being exposed to. How do we reconcile people? And now, why us? Well, he says, peacemaking is a choice. 
you have the agency to choose to be choose contention or reconciliation. I urge you to be a peacemaker now and always. Now, I think I mentioned uh, in the last class. Um, oh, brothers and sisters, we can literally change the world. Now, that's a shift. That's a shift from our old simplicity complexity days of hide out in Utah and let the rest of the world go to hell. <laughs> hide out in Utah, send missionaries out, grab, gather in Israel, get them back in here, and the rest of the world can burn. He's saying our job is to do something in the world. And, and I think it's a shift in our church gospel Latter-day Saint responsibilities and what we're supposed to do in our communities and neighborhoods and cities around us, which is not insulate and isolate as much as it is connect. And it's all the power of the atonement. It's all reconciliation. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, just in that little space of time, maybe that's exactly what was needful. I think it was very much what was needful. Well, but but think about what we've done. We were talking uh, in class about how sometimes as children we grow from simplicity and we needed that black and white and then we added complexity to it like the bands on a tree, right? And then we, we just grow, we build on everything else. And we talked about how the Book of Mormon certainly did that theologically. Well, the, as a church we've done that. With church we started off very insular out of protection. But now as we're growing and maturing as a faith, President Nelson saying, we have another responsibility, and that's not to hide from the world, that's to do good in the world. Yeah. Uh, we served a mission in Africa, and uh, we were communication missionaries. Yeah. And uh, we are, it seems that the church right now is going through a, a change also. We are a, an American church that is international. Yeah. From a from a culture point of view, and we saw this a lot in the communication, the way things were doing. But our communication uh, director uh, in the Africa Central area was making the point that we really need to become a worldwide church, which means that we accommodate yes. the different cultures, yes, rather than importing our American. It culture. should be an American thing sitting out there, right? Yeah, and I think that's, that's part of where he's trying to go here. We can literally change the world. Um, uh, the, other one, the other voice striding on this right now is uh, President Oaks. President Oaks, in trying to talk about religious liberty, is trying to say we need to be a, build the, the coalition of the willing <laughs> to change the polarization and the attacking that's been going on. We're to be peacemakers in the world, and that means we can't hide from the world. Okay? Now, let me give you an example of how this works. Here, I love that. I, I mentioned, I mentioned, uh, I didn't, I didn't put uh, animations on this, so you, you're going to have to look at all this. Jonathan Rauch, I can do this. No, I can't. Okay. Jonathan Rauch is a, um, well, like he said, he, he went to BYU. He is at the Brookings Institute. Uh, he is a writer for the New York Times. And he says, he went to BYU and he stood at a large gathering and he said, um, he says, I am gay, I am married, and my husband's on the front row. He says, 
I am an atheist, and he says I'm a, a, a and I'm a Jew. He says, "Do I have your attention yet?" <laughs> and then, and then here's what he says, and I, I had to go find the actual thing. The LDS Church is something really quite impressive, a fully formed and coherent scriptural foundation of the founding fathers' idea of pluralism out of many religions and cultures. One. And then he says, it provides, Mormonism provides an account of Christian citizenship that is not defensive, fearful, or self-isolating. This is him looking at the outside. And by the way, he's doing this based on he knows wards. And he, and he will talk at length about saying, what you do as wards is amazing in your church. Because it's geographical and you have to go to church with people you disagree with. <laughs> and now you've got to serve with them. You not just serve them, but serve with them, with people you wouldn't have chosen to be with as opposed to just pick your favorite church and favorite pastor and scatter yourself. He says you're forced to work together with people that you wouldn't have spent any time with. Uh, it embraces the messy, frustrating process of negotiation as bringing Americans closer to God. This coming from an atheist. Okay, it supports your church supports a balanced, negotiated approach in which the two sides make room for each other. What responsibility do we have? What evolving responsibility might? we have as Latter-day Saints if this is what people on the outsiders are seeing in us. Can you think of any other reasons we might be uniquely situated? Because sometimes inside the church we go, this is a mess. <laughs> or or people, people that have left the church go, I can point out all the flaws. Yes, 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 all true. But what is it about Latter-day Saints that might put us in a unique position to heal divides? Do you think? Besides the fact that we had to put up with each other at, on Sundays. Yeah. The uh, uh, prevalence of uh, senior missionaries are a major factor because the senior missionaries are very patient yeah. and very including. Well, I think that, but because not only that, when you guys have gone, you've had a lifetime of experience about saying you're not going to overreact to something. It's like, well, we might have seen something like this before, and here's here's another way of looking at it. Here's what we can do. Okay, I, man, I, I think that that's right. Yeah, we have um, an understanding of the true nature of God. Yeah, and that He's a loving God. Yes, and He's not an angry God. Right. So that sheds a lot of light on how we treat people. Boy, I, th I think that's true. I think, it, I think it's harder for those coming out of a Calvinistic background of an angry, vengeful, jealous, uh, revengeful God. Right. And we're saying, no, we worship a weeping God yeah. who loves his people even in the midst of their stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the, um, I would take that even a step further and say that the message in the restoration is unique, right? That is the restoration, basically, isn't it? The restoration of the true nature of right. God. Right. Well, I think that there's other components of that that we should mention. So, um, the restoration of the restoration of the priesthood power 
the restoration of um, revelation, right? Yeah, right. Revelation. Because, you know, really, really all of Christendom, the way that they see revelation is something that pretty much stopped after Jesus Christ left the earth, right? And they're like, well, we have the Bible, and that's the complete... Well, so we have revelation. Here it is. It's the word. Don't change the word. Right. Period. But we have, we have, we have the Book of Mormon. We have the Doctrine and Covenants. We have the Pearl of Great Price, and we have our our prophets and authorities that um, continually give revelation every six months of general conference. Um, and I think that, and I think that the message of the restoration is um, you have to take everything into consideration to understand that that is its uniqueness. Its uniqueness of its message is all of its components. Well, and then for President Nelson to drop in and say, and the restoration is still ongoing. It isn't like we haven't arrived at the place where we know everything we're going to know. It's like, no, there could be more, more a deeper understanding of theology, not just how many classes we go to on Sunday. Right. That, that is all open to additional evolution, and, and re, uh, that, that's possible with restoration when it wasn't really otherwise. Yeah? I just find it interesting. I was thinking about it. doesn't really answer that question, but it kind of relates to the past versus now. Um, I like Anna Green Gables. That's okay. You can be forgiven for that. Forgiveness? She was raised in a community where she had to learn how to get along with yeah. Nellie Bly. Yeah. You know, where that had to be. So it's almost a, um, I want to say it's a traditional or a classic upbringing. Yeah. And the classic upbringing that you learn to live, you're kind to your neighbors, you're, are, you're not necessarily the best at something, but you're a renaissance person, you're well-rounded, you, you deal with your... Renaissance meaning I'm, I'm continuing to learn. Yes, the renaissance person. I feel like the church has maintained that yeah. throughout, and so it's like I see in the schools, they're like, well, we have to read the modern books because the classics are no good, you know, kind of thing, and you're going, because now the language has changed. I'm like, the classics is the point, and I feel like... That's where we stayed in a Renaissance way, mm. a classic based, mm. which means dealing with your life and moving forward and growing. Oh. So it's not very uh, Jesus, but I. I think it's very. No, I think it's I think it's very Jesus, right? Day to day living is a yeah. Every day, I love the practical aspect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I can say I think it's awfully hard to describe what we have with the restorationism without getting involved in our culture. But yeah. One thing I think is critically important is that we have the spirit, and if that touches us, people around us will sense that. They may not understand it, they will sense that. Right. And that will raise the world. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, yeah. My husband's not a member, but he will tell his family all the time that. Throughout his work career, he has worked with Baptists and everything else, and he says they walk the walk during on the weekends, but not during or during the week, but not the weekends yeah, yeah. because they're out. He says, but uh, he says Mormons. He says I gotta say they walk the walk and they talk the talk. Or, or, or they don't walk it at all. It's like we're gonna leave, yeah, right? You know, he's sold that. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. On just a, a kind of a practical level, what the church does that you need. We send out legions of missionaries. Yeah. And they go to diverse cultures. They learn the language. They live there long enough to meet the people and understand mm -hmm. what's going on. Then they come home. And then they disperse within America, within right. the, their other countries that they've come from. And they bring this knowledge and this 
acceptance and understanding of something different, something that we have yeah. uh, that we don't do here, and yet they still have the same end point. Okay. Well, well, hold on, Elder Terry. What's what's uh, what kind of changes are coming to missionary work in the next few months? Like in like in January, like uh, we're going to be uh, the service mission is going to be merged with the cross lighting missionaries. Yeah, and and how come? And for what? Do, do, do you know what what that means? Or um, more so that things can be more unified, I guess, so that the teaching missionaries can be doing more service. Be able to be working with them on teaching things. Yeah, here it comes, guys. I'm, I'm telling you, there is a shift that is underway, and it may be kind of subtle, but I think it's under the under the leadership of President Nelson trying to talk about we've got to expand our work in the in the community and in the world, and and we have a we have an army of seventy two thousand missionaries that could that could tomorrow make a change as fast as we got like. After the hurricane in Katrina, we said, "How fast can we raise, you know, twenty thousand people and put boots on the ground?" Oh, next week, we're good at doing that quickly. We got seventy-two thousand missionaries who could be doing service all at once. Yeah. Well, you know, when we're in a group like this, we kind of pat ourselves on the back. Well, certainly about we do. All of these things. Yes, we're so good at this. Gentleman, being a professional, can look in and see all of these uh-huh. things. But the general general populace outside of the church looks as looks at us as a very closed group. Well, and a be, and a very evangelical church, so they're yeah. very suspicious. I, I remember uh, as, years ago as a bishop saying to my the missionaries in our area, I need you to go into traditional black churches and tell them that we want to have one of their choirs sing at sacrament meeting. They couldn't find anybody willing to do it because it's like, oh, we know what you guys are up to. You just want to get us there so you can hit us with the Book of Mormon. And, you know, and to a certain extent, a lot of missionaries at that complexity age, you know, I, I, you know back in the roaring 70s, I remember what I was told back in the roaring 70s, this is not a day of planting. This is a day of harvesting, brother. You got to move. You know, you find find Israel, grab them, move on. If they're not listening after about the second or third discussion, you leave them, go on to the next guy. You keep on harvesting because we ain't planting anymore. This is last second coming, coming like right tomorrow, and we got to do it right now. And you know, and they're going to fry. We just got to gather them in, get these sheaves in, and then everybody else gets burned. And go move fast, move. You know, uh huh. <laughs> Well, I have been baptized, yeah, but not the right way. <laughs> you know, so we weren't really connecting very well. Well, you know, when we first moved to Dallas, we had an instructor in our ward. Mike, you may remember him, but half the quorum loved him and half of them hated him. He was a convert from West Africa, had been a minister before he joined the church. So his approach was a little different than we're used to. A little more juice to it, yeah, He probably. typically would get up in front of the quorum and start blessing brethren. I'm not here to tell you to read the scripture and say your prayers. You've been told that. And you're either good or you're not. Well, I say it won't make any difference. He says, I'm here to tell you the gospel of Jesus Christ has the answer to all the world's problems. Then he paused for a minute, and the Lord wants to know what you've done about it later. <laughs> yeah, boom. 
Okay. Well, well let, let, let me give you one other example of this, and I, I apologize for the cuss word, but the cuss word in, in context just makes helps. Okay. <laughs> BYU did play a game in West Virginia. We got our clocks cleaned. Uh, uh, first time that BYU has played in Morgantown. Okay. So, but I'm on I'm on a uh, site that. that Kind of that's looking at the Big 12 and stuff like that. So here was one of the comments uh, coming from a, a West Virginia guy. I really want to talk smack after smashing BYU, but damn it, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I've seen on social media is nothing but first class. West Virginia fans had great interactions all the way around from BYU bringing our state flag onto the field um, to handing out 15,000 friendship pins, to staying and singing Take Me Home Country Roads after the team and the fans, after the game was over. It's a tradition there. They stand there and sing it. Well, the, the team, Sataki had the team stay on the field and sing with them. And the fans. He, so, my hat's off to you, BYU, see you in Provo. That's, a, that's reconciliation. That's atonement. That's easy to say when you win. Zero. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> if, this, if the score had been the other way around, would they have been as... <laughs> that's a good question, yeah. Actually, no, they're still the same because they got screamed by TCU and I was at the game and it was a peaceful, fun, exciting game even though they didn't play... BYU didn't play very well and TCU won. Everybody just got along. It was so cool. Yeah, and, and so I, I think we have a chance to say we're something different, and and we want to. Sometimes we get angry and stuff like that. We want to be different, but we need or want to be the same, but we need to be different. And I and I think this what President Nelson is calling us to is a higher, holier calling of be civil, be peacemakers, and that doesn't necessarily mean be out converting. It just means we're supposed to be helping uh, create uh, bridge the divide. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, I think that's I think that's the the challenge here. Okay, so this first time we've ever done this before. No, no. Uh, when I, the when I listen to uh, scholars like N. T. Wright and uh, people that have really studied closely the fir- the church in the first two centuries prior to Constantine, and so you're looking at what is the church doing uh, in little in Ephesus, and what's it doing in Corinth, and what's it doing in Thessalonica, what's it doing in Rome and in Athens, and all these little church. Here's here's basically the points that they came up with. Here's here's the way they looked at the world. For one thing, they saw sin as a symptom, not the focus. Our, 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 the, the problem is our natures are wrong. Sin is the outgrowth. It's a, it's a symptom of that. Later on, a couple of centuries later, sin would become the focus. But for them, if you start to reconcile and connect, sins kind of get healed and you quit doing the things you shouldn't do. So you don't do it out of fear. You do it because you're in a community that loves you. And so... Sin becomes healed as they became new creatures in Christ. And so, and, and part of they did that, Paul was very adamant in trying to say, 
We don't worry about going to heaven. <laughs> Heaven's coming to us. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom join us. Create the kingdom. Create heaven in Ephesus. And we'll be ready when Christ brings his kingdom from above. So what that means is we have to live together in harmony. We're going to live with our neighbors. We do outreach to all of them. Uh, and, and they start drawing ire from, the, uh, from Roman historians. Going, well, these guys are like bumpkins. You know, they're just kind of being nice to everybody and they don't recognize what they're doing. Uh, their focus was on reconciliation, really one with each other in preparation for being reconciled to heaven when it came. Okay, what a great way to go. <laughs> uh, I, I, I've mentioned in here before um, uh, Tom Christofferson, uh, Elder Christofferson's uh, uh, gay, gay brother, who talked about living in a ward in, in the avenues in Salt Lake that's predominantly um, non-memberish. <laughs> Let's just say that. And so they decided to have a... a uh, gathering at the stake center for everybody and they sent around flyers everybody in the neighborhood's welcome to come to us and uh, uh, coffee and tea are served you, you know it, it, come join us because we don't drink it but you guys drink it so we'll provide it and come on down okay I would love to have you know the state clerk looking at uh, uh, approving expenses coming through here for <laughs> Starbucks really what are we <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so so with with that as a backdrop, um, I, I I want you to have this in mind here. So let let's uh, let's take this in mind to uh, Helaman five, if we can. Um, and I want so I want to I want to be. I want to begin this with the end of this. This is a moment when the Lamanites have overrun the Nephites. They've overrun Zarahemla. Um, and the very, and look, look at the very last line. Uh, verse 52. It came to pass that they, the Lamanites, did yield up unto the Nephites the lands of their possession. Both. Didn't fight, no wars, nothing. They got, they got their lands back. Okay, well that would be nice. How'd this work? Look at 51. And as many as were convinced of, of the gospel did lay down their weapons of war and also their hatred and the traditions of their fathers. What was the forerunner of being able to had to be reconciled back to their lands. They had to give up. They had to give up. Had to give up what? Lay down their weapons and and lay down their hatred and the traditions of their fathers. Somewhere in the reconciliation is this process of saying, "I know that's what." you have believed for generations and I know that's probably what your fathers did is there a better way for us to connect one to another okay and that may even involve us and this is this is not the way the church used to do things our traditions are 
uh, quit quit planning, just harvest and get the heck out of there <laughs> before the fire comes. And going, no, this is a different, there's a shift coming here that we have a higher responsibility to the world at large. How are we going to do that? Well, we're going to have to lay down, we're going to have to lay down some hatred and the traditions of, of the fathers. Yeah. What's interesting is come follow me. It just, it says, what are you willing, you know, what you have to sacrifice to live the gospel of Christ was the line. But I thought you have to sacrifice to live. Mm. You have to give up mm. something to move forward every step of the way. You know, get out of bed, you give up sleep, you know. You know, anything you do, you have to give up something. Yeah in order to move forward. If you don't give up something, you don't move forward. And the gospel says that, but that's true in yeah, it really is, in isn't life. It? So in order to move forward, they had to give up something. Yeah, that, that's a good point, because you're having to say, if, if, we, if we form some, if we're out trying to heal our communities and heal, and, and, and uh, more and more people, by the way, in the coordinating councils are being called to interfaith councils to work, do interfaith work. Mm-hmm. Uh, a uh, good friend of mine, uh, Mark Romney, has been instrumental in South Dallas in massive amounts of interfaith uh, connections and stuff like that. So, but the question is, what are you giving up? It's like, well, that's kumbaya. kumbaya. That's going to be nice. That's going to be lovely. But what do we got to give up? I don't know. Maybe the need to be right all the time. <laughs> um, I love in verse 50 that you have it up there. But the part that stood out to me was because of the greatness of the evidence that they had received, I think we maybe need to analyze for ourselves today. Yeah. What is the greatness of what message we're giving that shows the evidences of who we really are? Oh, I like that. So I think... Which is, which is interesting. Sometimes, if you think about it, sometimes there are evidences that are there. But if we are so rock hard in our view of the world, whether, whether we're trapped in, in uh, simplicity and we can't see outside the walls, or in complexity where we feel like we've got a battle, sometimes the evidences have been there all along. And when we, when we lay down our weapons, we start seeing the other people for who they are and go, wait. Uh, I, I, just, I, I mentioned something, uh, I think, last week, but it's really true that. Uh, this is the, the study coming out of uh, uh, Delaware, I think. Dartmouth, coming out of Dartmouth. Where the, studying the differences between Republicans and Democrats. And what they really found is on most issues, Republicans and Democrats were actually fairly close. The problem wasn't the difference. <laughs> the problem was with what Republicans thought Democrats believed and with what Democrats believed Republicans believed. And then form their actions and the things that they were doing based on what they assumed the other group was believing. Which, by the way, in my in my in my counseling practice working with couples, that kind of comes up a lot. It isn't so much what the wife believes; it's what the husband believes the wife believes, <laughs> and, and that seems to be the bigger problem. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you you believe this, and he'll go, "No, I don't believe that." Yes, you do. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> You've always believed that. I really don't. <laughs> okay. I think, what, I think what we need to analyze from what verse fifty says: Are we in harmony or not? Yeah. Have 
Have we left all those other levels, and are we in harmony? And is that is that the evidence of who we really are? Whether we're in harmony, whether we're in at one meant, <laughs> trying to be at one meant with other people, not making them, you know, there's, we still allow them to have their differences, but can we be at one meant with them? Uh, I, I think that's I think that's critical. Yeah. My daughter just got back from a six-month mission in Michigan, and she took her bread maker with her, and they made bread and uh, honey, honey butter, and they went to all, they had the list of all the inactives, and they went and uh, presented them with a loaf of bread. Oh, who's going to turn down fresh bread and honey butter? And then they, as a finale, they uh, designed a and organized a uh, game night because many of the inactives didn't know anyone, and this was the reason they had dropped out. Kind of. Sure. Yeah. And so the bread and honey butter and the game night. The Perfect, right? That they used to do their mission carry work. Boy, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Just another example of something like that. Uh, when I was called to be the bishop 25 or 30 years ago, whenever it was, uh, we had in Allen an interfaith council. Yeah. Where the different congregations all met together once a month. So myself, oh, really? Yeah, so well, myself from the third ward of Allen and Bishop Dalton from the first ward of Allen mm-hmm. decided, well, why don't we go join this? We're members of the community. Well, we went for two months, and they sent us each a letter and asked us never to come back <laughs> because our faith did not match what they thought yeah. their faith was. Right. So we said, well, we got to change this somehow. So we did not go back, but we started doing service projects with the other groups. Yeah. And it wasn't too many years, and I'd been released by then, but we got a letter saying, we'd like to invite you back. <laughs> Come and join us. Yeah. Because they saw what we did. Right. So what they're talking about here works. Well, and I think a certain amount of suspiciousness because we are an evangelical... I mean, when most people think of Mormons, what do they think of? Missionaries. 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 White, white shirts, name tags, wanting to, wanting to baptize you. And having to say, somehow... If, if we're going to be able to do the good we need to do, they need to have a different view of us. If people want to, are interested in what we're doing, they'll come talk to us. But the good we do will outweigh. But we've got some big stereotypes to get past, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree that um, when I was on my mission back in the 70s, a long time ago. Um, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> nor, yeah. Um, I was in Northern California, and we ran into, we tracked it out, a, they were um, Jehovah Witness couple, uh, uh-huh. and they invited us to dinner. Anyway, the two of us went, and we had a very pleasant sure. conversation, and you know, you wish more people were like that. So many of the 
inactive people go inactive because people have said rude and mean mm -hmm. and very judgmental mm -hmm. things. Yeah. And I think all of us, whether we're active or not, have had that sure. happen to us over and over and over again until some of them just can't take it anymore. And so this love, sorry, and this righteous judgment makes such a difference. It does. And, and if it's coming from an honest, loving place and it's just what we do, then I think it just it, it demonstrates more loudly than whatever stereotypes. And I think that's one of the things Jonathan Roush is trying to say, that we are actually better positioned as a church more than we know because so many other churches have hardened into a protective kind of shell that they're going to have a hard time having leading an interfaith connection. We're there, guys. We have the ability, and we've learned how to do it. We just have to be willing to do it, right? So, so how, how does this end up happening? How do they end up getting their lands back? Uh, how do you convince them to lay down their weapons of war uh, and, be, and, and actually have them see the evidences around them? How, how, how does that occur? Okay, well, that's, that's the end from the beginning. So let's pop back all the way up to the top here. Now, there's a couple little, th th there's, this is actually some pretty good foreshadowing writing that, that uh, Mormon is going to do here in this to, to set this up. Um, first of all, we're going to have Helaman, who uh, is kind of given some uh, kind of patriarchal blessing to Nephi and Lehi, his sons. Um, Verse 7. Uh, oh, well, verse 6. I gave you your name so that you'd remember to do good, right? Be like the original ne Lehi and Nephi. 7. Therefore, my sons, I would that you should do that which is good, that it may be said of you, and also written as it been said. Uh, now, my sons, behold, I have someone I desire. Uh, and that is that you do these things not that you can boast, but you may lay up for yourselves a treasure in heaven. Um, and then he's going to say, okay, look, remember, my sons, the words which King Benjamin spoke. There's no other way a man can be saved, saved through the atonement power of Christ, who comes to redeem and bless and grow and heal the world. And then he's going to say, remember what Amulek spoke unto Zeezrom. He's going to go back. He's, he's got the records in front of him, right? He's being able to say, because uh, I don't know how... Anybody know... Somebody look back like in Alma 34. What, what year was that? I'm trying to think what year this is. This is 30. Somebody got out the, the date on top of Alma 34? About 74 B.C. Okay, so this is 40 years. 40 years later. Okay. Like the 70s, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which still feels like yesterday, right? Oh, my gosh. Um, remember the words of Amulek 40 years ago spoke unto Zeezrom in the city of Ammonihah. Um, and 11. Look at 11. Uh, he, gave, he had power given unto them, Alma, Amulek, to redeem them from their sins because of repentance. But they were going to have to be won over first. Therefore, he did what? He sends angels to declare the tidings 
of the conditions of repentance, ah, which bringeth unto the power of Redeemer unto the salvation of souls. And then, and then the, the one that we know and we love so much, remember, remember, that's on the rock of your Redeemer, that you must build your foundation. Well, if in all of our connections with other people we're building on the rock of the Redeemer, we're talking about a Redeemer that was willing to go and talk and connect with people of all stripes and, and try and, and bring them home. Um, I, was talk, I was talking to a group yesterday in uh, Ward in uh, Melissa, and we're talking about the, the prodigal son. Uh, and, and, and that was interesting that the Savior gives the uh, parable of the prodigal son when at his house in Capernaum he has prostitutes and, and um, publicans and all kinds of the outcasts eating at his table in Capernaum. And he's standing in the doorway... And the Pharisees are right outside the door. And he, he gave the parable to the Pharisees who are looking over his shoulder and seeing all the kind of the dregs of the town that, have kind of, that are eating at his table. And he gives the parable of the prodigal son. And again, the three, the three principal people in the prodigal son is going to be the father, the son, and the younger brother, uh, older, older brother. And, and the Pharisees were kind of left of well, which one, which one are we? <laughs> oh, you're saying they're the younger brother. Where does that put us? Oh, we're the older brother. But he ends the story. I just, I'm going to leave that with you. Good luck with that. Okay? It's just that this is what the Savior did. He's trying to unite. Because at the end, what is the father, at the end of the parable of the prodigal son, what is the father wanting the son, the older son to do? Come in, join them, be minister to them. Be come on in. Now we can guess whether how the Pharisees probably responded to that. We're out of there. We're gone. We're not coming in. But he left it. Okay. Well, that's what the Savior does. Is that he is the at oneer, uh, and you're going to build your foundation. And there's going to be mighty shafts and, and all that. Okay. All right. So, so remember they, they go, um, and here's what here's what I find interesting. When they are when they are preaching, they're now in the land of Zarahemla, which has now been taken over by the Lamanites, but the land of Zarahemla is also a mix of who? They, no, they're gone. They left. They're out of there. It says there, who is he confounding in verse 17? Dissenters. Dissenters, people who have left the Nephites and have mixed with the Lamanites. And they tend to be a little angrier and tend to be a little bit more upset. So he's, he's now preaching to people that have heard the word, who've left, who've left the church basically and are now with the Lamanites. Interesting mix. Okay? Now, and they had great authority. They, they, they preached. They baptized. Um, now, then they're going to go farther into uh, land of Nephi. 
And it came to pass they're taken by the army of the Lamanites and cast into prison, even, and, and now he starts, notice the parallels he starts putting in here, even the same prison which Ammon and his brethren were cast into by the servants of Lehi, Limhi. Ooh. You know, the, the, the prison's still there, and they're in the same prison. Um, now, you don't always know what happens when you've got servants in jails and prisons. <laughs> don't we have a particular instance uh, with Alma and Amulek where they are thrown into prison and they get slapped around a lot in Ammonihah and then what happens? The walls fall down. The walls fall down, right? And they're all and they're they're all killed. This is how you handle this kind of situation. Whoa! Hold on here, though. Look at this. Um, now, twenty-two. After they've been cast, pressed in prison for many days, they go forth to prison that the Lamanites might slay them. It came to pass that Nephi and Lehi are what? In verse twenty-three. How come these guys are going to get the fire and not the whirlwind that brings the walls down? I don't know why. <laughs> you know, maybe at the time. There's a there's a moment. I think it's in Acts five or six, something like that. You remember where uh, James, the brother of Jesus, is thrown into jail at the same time as Paul is. James gets the sword and Paul gets the angel. Paul's able to escape and go. James is killed. Okay? And you don't know sometimes the randomness of who gets the sword and who gets the angel. Yeah. Um, our family motto is lions gotta eat. Furnaces gotta burn. Sometimes you get to be Daniel and sometimes you get eaten. But it doesn't matter. So that's become our family motto is, you know, kind of... That lions will eat? Choosing the day whom you will serve, you know, regardless, because sometimes you get a pillar. That's cool. Sometimes you get the sword. So, yes, and we actually have a thing, we get a thing, a lion, Pokemon, and it says, and we, somebody figured out Latin, lions got to eat, I don't remember. But yeah, that's our family motto, basically. It means lions got to eat. We're in it. I love that, yeah. Wendy Ed, and then we got. Um, I wonder if the fire was to help them yeah. remember what happened to Benadi. Oh, maybe because you got descenders. Just kind of a remembrance of that situation. I had not thought of that. That's really kind of cool. All right. we, we know flames, right? Right. Right, Cindy. I was just going to say that uh, what you said. We were at the BYU Education Week one year and listening to Michael Wilcox speak. Yeah. And he talked about that particular verse or that particular part of the, yeah. the scriptures where um, uh, James was killed by the sword and Paul was able to walk out. Yeah. No, was it Paul? It wasn't Paul. Paul. It was Paul. Yeah, the angel unlocks. 
unlocks the door, and they remember. And then he goes over to the house and bangs on the door there in uh, in Jaffa, and they're like, "Hey, Paul's out here, really? <laughs> well, let him in." I thought he was in jail. Anyway, um, Michael Wilcox had recently uh, lost his wife mm-hmm. brain cancer. Mm-hmm. And he said, we prayed, we prayed, we prayed, you know, for her, for her health and her life. And it, it didn't happen. She, she died anyway. And he said, but it was okay to pray. It was good to pray that she would be spared. But Sometimes you sometimes get you get the sword. sword. Sometimes. sometimes you get the angel. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that God loves you less. He only loves the ones that get the angel. Yeah, yeah. Well, for me, uh, the following verses kind of explain. Yeah. The the pillars of fire that encircled them. The white lights looked at that, and then they durst not touch mm. them. And he used. Uh, then they were in a position, the Lamanites became teachable. Yeah, yeah. See, the, the, right, right. In the other situation, they got the sword, they, they got crushed, you know. Yeah. Now, this is interesting. I'm not sure, sh- I, I can take this one of two different ways in 24. And when they saw, this could be. Nephi and Lehi saw that they were encircled, or it could be when the Lamanites saw that Nephi and Lehi, I don't, I'm not quite sure. It, it's, you could go either way, right? When they saw that they were encircled with a pillar of fire, and that becomes important because if this they is, is Nephi and Lehi, when Laman and Le, Nephi and Lehi saw they were encircled by a pillar of fire and that it burned them not, their hearts did take courage. Well, they saw that the Lamanites Yeah, that makes more sense to me. So what does that say about Nephi and Lehi? They're human. And they didn't know either. <laughs> this could go bad. This could go good. We don't know what's happening next. And, and it's like we're, we're in, in, surrounded by it. We're not getting burned. Well, this is kind of cool <laughs> and because of that they, they don't they're not laying their hands on us well okay then I guess this is you know I guess this is all right and so based on that sometimes you don't know till that moment uh, and I, I kind of take it that way so in 26 they stand forth they begin to speak on fear not it's God has shown you this um, now the voice is going to come as it always does. It's a very godlike pattern. It's going to come three times and talk to them. Uh, 29, repent ye, repent ye, and seek no more to destroy the servants I've sent to you. They heard this voice, and I love this description. And this to me is the voice of reconciliation. It's the voice of at one Okay? Look at the description in verse 30. And they heard the voice, and behold, it was not a voice of thunder, neither was it a voice of great tumultuous noise, but behold, it was a still voice of perfect mildness, as if it had been a whisper. Isn't that beautiful? And it did pierce even to the very soul. And notwithstanding the mildness of the voice, the earth shook exceedingly. Okay? 
So often, man, I'm thinking if I've got to make a big decision, I wish the Lord would use a megaphone. (laughs) Make it much more unmistakable. But instead, that's not how the Spirit works and communicates. Why? It's a great parenting lesson. Oh, isn't it though? Isn't it though? When we're shouting, if 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 we're shouting at somebody, what's their job? Either shout back or just capitulate. I got to submit or I got to get louder. Uh, I I think I mentioned one of the things that uh, I had to laugh that in listening a couple weeks ago to Governor Cox of Utah, and he said, "Uh, My wife and I have been sober for 16 years now. He says, But it's not what you think. He says, We haven't watched cable news for 16 years. That, that is strictly built on a who can be louder, contentious argument. And so we have now been sober for 16 years. And he says there's a different spirit in our home. <laughs> well, that's, isn't that interesting? Okay. Be careful about the contentiousness that we kind of are drawn to. Do, do, you, know, do you know the movies that I, I'm drawn to that I have to be so careful with my own self? You know the, the movies that are so compelling for me? It's like, it's like the guy whose family is done wrong. Maybe they've been killed or something like that and he, now he's going to be on a vengeance tear and he's going to take out everybody else who ever did his family wrong. It's like this movie of vengeance. They're finally going to get this. It's just like this compelling, yeah, get these guys, get these guys. And the whole movie is built on, I'm angry and you're going to die. <laughs> my name is Indira Montoya. <laughs> you killed my father. <laughs> Prepare to die. <laughs> Uh, and then, and then what is? And then is what? The, the very last, his very last line in the book is, maybe you should be uh, the dread pirate. Yeah, I have been in the revenge business for so long, <laughs> and, and that's what he says. Maybe you ought to be a pirate, <laughs> right? I, I just think it, it's easy to get trapped in that. But. Okay, let's see a hand. Yeah. I, I just like what my mother taught me. Sometimes. She says, a little proverb, I don't know what, she says, convince a man against his will, he's of the same opinion still. He hasn't changed, he's just not saying it very loud. Yeah, okay. You go through all this, and I think the thing that's key is the spirit has to touch you, or you're not going to change. Yes, and if we're responding with a, thank you. If we're responding with a voice of mildness, I think whether somebody has a wrong stereotype or wrong understanding, um, I think it touches them. And it says more, more louder, more powerfully than us trying to have this crushing argument on Facebook. <laughs> okay? Um, so... So the, the voice speaks three times, the voice comes, and then, and then th- this is just awesome. 33. Th- uh, we're going to find out this guy, this, this cat's name is Abinadab. Really close to Abinadi, which I think is interesting 40 years later, you almost wonder, right? 30, 35. There's one Abinadab among them who was a Nephite by birth, who had once belonged to the church of God, but descended. Uh, and it came to pass that he turned him around, turned him about, okay, and he saw through the cloud of darkness the faces of Nephi and Lehi, and they did shine exceedingly, and also heard the voice three times. 
And behold, they did lift up their eyes to heaven, and they were in attitude of talking to or lifting their voices to some being they beheld. And this man looks at it, and he says, 39, Aminadab says unto them, they do converse with angels. And that's the moment. They ask the question. Then it came to pass, the Lamanite said unto him, What shall we do that this cloud of darkness may be removed from overshadowing us? That's the moment they're ready to make a change in their nature. What can we do? And then he says, drawing on his experience from 40 years ago, you must repent and cry unto the voice until you shall have faith in Christ who was taught to you. So there are other descenders there from... Uh, Ammonihah who was taught to, unto you by Amulek and Alma and Zeezrom and when you do this the cloud of darkness shall be removed from overshadowing you now I kind of think he's being inspired on here he's kind of being lifted above himself to, to say this okay uh, and then there, then they're encircled about and it did harm them not neither did it it take hold of the walls of the prison. No walls were coming down and they were filled with the joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. The Holy Spirit of God comes down. Verse 45, they're filled with fire. Again, I go back to think about the last moment in the second coming when the Savior comes and stands on the Mount of Olive and then flaming fire comes down among all the armies of the world. Does it have to be flames? What else do we know that, that works by fire? The Spirit, the Holy Ghost. I could see this happening. I could see them. Mar the armies marched around Jerusalem and they're ready to crush it and the Holy Ghost, and verse 45 happens again. The Holy Spirit of God did come down from heaven, enter in their hearts. They were filled as it was with fire and they could speak un unspeakable things and then they hear a voice, a pleasant voice saying, Peace, peace be unto you because of your faith. Wow, I could see that happening. Now, who knows? Maybe it'll be actual flames. I just think God would prefer not to toast all of his children if possible. <laughs> if there is a way that they will listen to this and not be consumed, I think, I think God would do it. Just the way I looked at it. Man, I think I mentioned, I, I mentioned this online and somebody online is like, no, I think it's flames. <laughs> we, we want flames. Give us flames. Like your revenge movies. Yeah, it's like yeah. Don't let them get away with this. They need to fry, man. Um, then the angels come down, and then we get what happens at, at the end of this. So, response. That what, what, what do you think? Is that doable? What? How difficult is this? <laughs> how is this diff how difficult is it to speak peace to those that maybe have a misunderstanding of us or our family or us personally? And somehow we're supposed to be the peacemakers and lack of contention? It depends on how hard they have a hold of your nose. <laughs> yeah. Well that's true. That's right. And, and, and how many of the kids have been eaten by lions? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> how much harder, again, it is to do that within our families? Yeah. Especially, again, 
kind of back to the cancel culture thing when we have been canceled by somebody or we feel like we want to cancel and we're trying to say, again, if somebody is toxic or hurtful or destructive, no, we don't let them back into our lives until we know it's safe. But so often it's just like we voted for different people. <laughs> and I'm not sure we can sit at the Thanksgiving table with somebody that voted for that other guy. Whether you think he's the jerk or the old guy. <laughs> they're, both, they're, both old. they're both old, sorry. <laughs> well, the, uh, the other thing that we have to let go of is, well, is weapons and hatred and traditions. I think pride has a lot to do with it, too. And I, I think one of the organizations I really admire uh, is the uh, Baptist men that yeah. years ago when there was the tornado down near Austin uh, we took the young men down there to help and but but the Baptist men organization were they're amazing like, aren't they they were there like uh, eight hours after the thing hit yeah and, and they're they're over in uh, Jerusalem or in uh, they're in Israel right now. Yeah. Group. Yeah, I saw a group of cowboys this morning that are on their way to help the farmers in Israel. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I think that when we get to the point that we're willing to put people over dogma. Yes. Yes. Put relationships over, and sometimes that pride says, I got to step back from what I, I think because your relationship is more important to me than what than this particular piece of dogma. I, I, that's absolutely true. We, we do so much at the church with our welfare system and everything, you know, we're, and we're, we're proud of that. But there are other organizations that do really good work also. Yeah, and I, I, I love the fact that the church has consistently in so many of these countries worked with Islamic charities. Uh, and Catholic charities are probably the top two that we have worked closely with. But I think we need, but that's the at oneing that I think that we're trying to do in the world. Yeah. But I also like that the church doesn't get out there on ABC and yeah. CNN and say in a boastful way, right. but this is the billions and millions of dollars in a, in a quiet, loving way. It's the way it's got to be, isn't it? And I think that is such a, an who we are. Yeah, but, but come on. Isn't there at least part of you that is saying, we're spending millions and millions. Can't we let's let people know a little bit more? Could we, in our marketing, be a little better so that they're going to think less, uh, you know? And the church goes, no, we're just going to do this quietly and subtly. Yeah. We are who we are. Yeah, I know. You know, our Sunday school teacher just made a comment that was very important. He works for one of the Jewish schools. Yeah. He says, last week, management called me and says, are you okay coming to work right now? He's so fine. <laughs> sure you're fine, because you guys have faith, but we don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a Jew, man, it, it, it's, it's tough times. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, brothers and sisters, I, I really think, again, uh, I, think, I think there's a subtle movement, and I think it's going to take a little bit of time traditionally for the church to kind of move, church meaning the population, all of us, to move from an idea of our job is to help bring, to be peacemakers in the world. And that, and that means stepping out of some of our proselyting 
mindset and stepping into a more of a connection kind of thing. Um, and proselyting will always take care of itself. If we are who we are, people will find us and they'll want to know more. But beyond that, I think we have a bigger role to play in doing what Jonathan Rauch is talking about. We, we need to be the voice of reconciliation, trying to heal some of the divides. And I, I'll be really interested to see how, how the, the church in Salt Lake decides to do it in, a, in an organizational, institutional way. Yeah. I, was, I, I love what you said about not being out in the news and toxic and that kind of thing. But I was really grateful with General Conference when they talked about where our humanitarian um, money is going to little kids in Africa are working with UNICEF they're working with different things and it just made me feel like I can make a difference even if I can't go there physically I can make a difference and and they know about us and there's missionaries delivering the food or whatever it is and and I just we need people to know that part of it, but in a gentle I know. We'd like, we, we wish more people knew, right? Right, because it really made a difference in my heart, and, um, and I'm part of the church, so I really, I think, I think we need to have a little more transparency in that area. Be nice. But, yeah. yeah All right. Well, um, feel, the, feel the spirit of reconciliation and just kind of see what, that, what difference that means in your life. Maybe as we roll towards the holidays, maybe there's some reconciling we need to do somewhere in our own particular sphere of influence. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss, Or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming. And we'll see you for another Monday morning class.